As a note, this episode is going to be a little emotionally intense. There's nothing bad, nothing triggering, but I did just want to warn you that if, like myself, you're a sensitive person, you may want to wait until you're ready to sit with potentially heavy emotions. Alternatively, you might want to listen on headphones or somewhere private where your kids won't be listening in. It's not bad. Like, kids can definitely listen to this. But I just mean, for you, it may be something that you would rather process on your own first. Either way, I'm really excited for this episode, and I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to Stutterology. I'm your host, expert stutterer, Jamie, and I will help you understand stuttering and what to do about it, particularly if you're a parent or a guardian with a loved one who stutters. So one of the pieces that's actually really difficult with this is that I'm friends with a lot of adults who stutter, and it's really tempting to like talk directly to them. Um, And even though this podcast is aimed for parents and guardians of children who stutter, at least, you know, this this part is, um, I do think there's a lot of content that's really good for everyone. For those of us who stutter, uh, we're used to carrying the burdens of other people. We're wondering constantly, are we wasting this cashier's time? Are we aggravating the people behind us in line? And we, we spend a lot of time excusing insensitive comments or beliefs e- even if the intention isn't bad, you know, somebody, somebody asking, um, oh, what's wrong with your voice or something and, and not coming from a bad place even, uh, that, that probably wasn't a good ex- example, but I'll have other ones as we go. But uh, I just kind of used to carrying that because we don't want to make people feel bad and we, we are constantly doing that. A lot of what I'm suggesting to parents is also true for us. I'm not a parent, but I have watched parents, especially mothers, take on a lot. And they take on other people, their children's things as well. So I'm going to be tackling that today from a stuttering child's perspective in a way. Um, And I'm really interested to see how people respond to this. So if you didn't know, I'm not a parent. So I'm not trying to tell you how to parent your child, if you're doing a good or bad job. I'm just here to provide the perspective that I think is really useful to have as an adult who stutters. Today's going to be our first real episode um, instead of an overview, and there's going to be a lot of content here. Um, what, what do we think when we think about stuttering is going to be the, the goal As a reminder, I am not a speech-language pathologist, SLP, nor am I a therapist. Do not have any graduate degrees. But I have spent a lot of hours poring over these ideas and books and conversations, and I have therapist friends, and I have SLP friends, and etc. So I do feel pretty good about the things that I know and can share. Here we go. In third grade... I tried out for Huckleberry Finn at my tiny Catholic school. I got a really small role with three lines, but I was a third grader, so this wasn't shocking. What was shocking was that by the time we performed the play, I had been cut down to just one line. I connected this to my stutter, which honestly it probably was. I remember trying really hard to get those words out during practice, and 
I, I couldn't do it fluently. In hindsight, I can't be sure if my lines were cut due to the stutter itself or because of the way I was reacting to my stutter and the possible frustration that it was causing me. But at the time, I felt like it was because of the stutter itself. So this is the first memory that I actually have of my stutter. I had been stuttering at this point for two years. I had been in speech therapy for two years, but there's nothing in my memories that stands out. I imagine I have little things here and there, and I definitely remember a good amount of bits and pieces of like kindergarten, first, second, and third grade. I remember chasing after boys, playing hula hoop with my best friend, uh, getting over my first crush when he gave me, I believe this is called the Indian burn, and that seems really offensive and problematic now, but like when you twist the skin on someone's arm in two different directions, right? Like that's how I got. So I remember all of that. Um, but I don't remember anything about my stutter. I don't remember it affecting me. Now, I'm at some point, I'm going to probably talk more to my mom about this and see if she remembers how it maybe was affecting me. But I don't remember. This is my first memory is this play. This is the first time I think I realized what a big deal this could potentially be for my life. So this illustration is meant to show you that stuttering isn't really impactful on a child until it is. The actual act of stuttering, the repetitions, the the blocks, it's pretty neutral as a as an individual isolated thing. There's exceptions to this, of course. Um, stuttering can sometimes be physically exhausting, particularly if it's severe or if it's mixed with other health issues. But generally speaking, especially for children, the stuttering itself is a neutral act. It's not harmful for anybody involved. The issue is other people and their reactions. Before I go into all of this, I do just want to make one thing clear. For those of us who stutter, stuttering is not caused by anxiety. Maybe people who are fluent stutter a little when they get nervous, and that is not what is happening here. Now, the other way can happen. Stuttering can cause anxiety, and especially social anxiety. I know firsthand from that. And nervousness and anxiety will make stuttering more prominent. But it's not the cause. Okay, that that's my little housekeeping note, making sure you understand that before we go into this. Because it, it can look very connected and there is a connection, but it's not it's not the cause. So in that last introduction episode, I talked about how some of the acceptance models I found in the fat community which, side note, uh, it's called the fat community because it is reclaiming the word fat using words like overweight or bigger suggest that there is a quote-unquote normal and that that's not normal. So activists in this world prefer the word fat most of the time. Okay. Uh, so in this community, right, while, while some people try to argue that being fat is a problem from a health perspective, it's not, it's not harmful. And it doesn't actually tell you anything about the person. Like, we all know that person, let's say Billy, who's really skinny no matter what they eat and that they never work out. And then you have Molly over here who's 
healthy, but their body stays fat. And people will look at these two and they'll make assumptions that Molly's the unhealthy one, whether or not that's actually true. But also, even if she wasn't, who cares? <laughs> right? Like, it, it only impacts her. You know, I mean, for, for, from an adult perspective, especially. She's not hurting anyone, just like Billy isn't hurting anybody by being ski- skinny. The problem is in society's reactions, right? Molly's treated in a, in a different way. M- Molly goes to the store and people ignore her. People give Billy more attention. Um, and that's not helpful. And there's a lot of assumptions being made. And it's just not an accurate thing. The way I compare this with stuttering is if you only had our media's depictions of stuttering to guide you, you may assume that to call her stuttering Sally, is ner- nervous or lacks confidence. Maybe you can assume that Sally forgot her name when she paused. <laughs> Maybe you assume that Sally doesn't want to be in plays or stutter on stage at least. And she probably doesn't want to do class presentations and she definitely doesn't want to make that phone call. I mean, maybe you can kind of assume that really Sally is not the best communicator. Uh, she should probably stick with her strengths, you know? So you you respond that way. Meanwhile, fluent Frankie over there hates the spotlight. Sally would actually really prefer the lead role in the play, and she'd be fantastic at portraying the emotions, ribbing other characters. But you you give the lead role to Frankie because she can, quote-unquote, can talk. Now, maybe Sally actually hates it. Most people apparently rank public speaking as higher on their list of fears than death itself, which I'm not sure I buy given how many podcasts exist, but that's, that's, that's what it says out there. I don't know who, but it's, I've read that somewhere or watched a TikTok. I don't know. Um, all I'm trying to say, though, is that you can't know. Sally's not inherently going to dislike public speaking due to the stutter. In that way, I'm telling you, the stutter does not define her, and it does not define anything at all about her. It does not define any interests. And I'm saying all this knowing what we were talking about earlier. The stutter can cause anxiety due to other people's reactions or your thoughts on what other people's reactions could be. And maybe you'll start to avoid situations because of this. But I'm, I'm talking kind of about the core of the issue. The stutter itself does not mean anything at all. And when people say we're more than our stutter, that's what I think of. I don't think of stuttering as this bad thing that's beating me up. It's more just that stuttering doesn't actually mean anything about my interests or likes. Now, I say that with a grain of salt, knowing that (laughs) due to the responsiveness of society and parenting and SLPs and so many other things... There are personality traits that most people who stutter will have, and we'll eventually get into that, but this is kind of where I'm going with this, okay? I want you to think about this. Have you made any assumptions about your child or loved one's personality traits due to the stutter? You can pause to think about it, and I'm not saying this from like a judging standpoint at all, like 
this is what's been taught. Do you assume that your kid's going to be nervous, even if maybe they haven't actually shown nervousness yet? You're, you're not, you're not going to know better, right, until you learn better. Better. If your whole life you've associated stuttering with nervousness because you stutter a little bit when you're nervous, it makes sense that you're going to be projecting that. So the best thing you can do is to use new knowledge going forward. And as a parent or guardian, you want to protect, right? You want to protect your children or your loved ones. I'd be more worried if you weren't concerned about them. Stuttering looks and often feels extremely vulnerable and people don't always respond well to it. So it makes sense that you're going to be nervous about your kid stuttering. And that's not a bad thing. It's a reality. And your loved one is often in environments that straight up require speaking. Maybe they're required to participate in class. They're going to the grocery or they're going to a restaurant and they have to order their food. They have to make a phone call. And try as we might, we can't control the stutter itself. Maybe we can learn to manage it, rethink how we feel about it. Maybe we can hide it really well. But we can't control the physical stutter itself. And not being in control by nature is a vulnerable act. So I'm asking again, what are your assumptions about your child? or a loved one who stutters, or even about yourself if you're a person who stutters. Now, maybe you're thinking, okay, you don't get it. I can literally feel my child's anxiety when they stutter. Now, I have a few thoughts on this. So bear with me. Number one, let's check in with you first. Are you anxious? If so, your child's anxiety could be a response to your anxiousness. Uh especially when they're kids. As a parent, we automatically respond to whatever our parents are feeling. If parents anxious, that's signaling in a child's brain there's something to be anxious about. And they're probably going to start to feel anxious. Maybe they know that their stutter makes you get kind of nervous, so they start to feel anxious every time they, they stutter. And again, I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I'm just describing a possibility. Okay. It's normal. This is normal. I just want you to think about it. Even if your kid is anxious, I just want you to think about yourself first. Do you feel any anxiety when they stutter? And it's okay if you do. You can learn how to work through this. But you have to be aware of when it's happening. And the coolest difference about being an adult instead of a child is that we can front emotions better so they think about when your kid falls and scrapes their knee on the playground. We have learned and we have heard that if you freak out and go, oh my God, and you run over panicking, and child's probably going to burst out crying even if they're not hurt. However, if your kid falls and scrapes their knee, you might feel scared, but you're able to compose yourself as calm to make sure that if your kid does react, it's because they're actually in pain. You know, you're, you're doing this based on, on what you're able to present to them, not necessarily how you're really feeling on the inside. It's very similar with stuttering, so I'm kind of asking you to respond that way. Okay, 
that piece dealt with. Now, that isn't the issue. Your kid really is anxious than this next example. And the stutter does make the anxiety worse. I once had a mother say to me, and I'll quote her, you cannot possibly understand what my daughter is going through. You seem like you were talking right out of the womb. You seem like you've never had a problem, and my daughter is not like you. She is shut down. It was really intense. <laughs> I'm not sure what I kind of responded to her with, but you know, as over the years, I've had a little more time to think about it. So I had smiled and I said something along the lines of maybe. And you're right on one thing. I did come out of the womb talking. You can you can ask my mom. I was a very social child. Like I have a photo of me at a playground. And we always assumed that it was me and my brother on the teeter-totter. And like we just all th- thought that. And one day I was looking at this picture. I'm like, wait a second. My brother's in the background of this picture playing by himself. <laughs> I was just playing with some random blonde boy that I had met that day and was acting as if this was my best friend in the world. So yes, I was a very social child. That's true. But here's the bit. I have spent most of my life so far not being that person. I was it as a kid and I'm starting to slowly find pieces of that now especially with this kind of podcast, but I was an anxious mess in school. Raising my hand sent me into a spiral. I would be shaking for about an hour after saying anything in class, even if we were just saying our names. I, I didn't make new friends on my own. Luckily for me, in high school, I had friends, and that was nice, but this came to a terrible head for me in college when I felt like I wasn't able to approach anyone and I didn't think I could talk to new people. All throughout high school I opted out of every single class presentation if I could and I used my stutter as a reason for it. If I had to do the presentation I would do it one-on-one with my teacher after school. This was provided to me by my speech language pathologist and we're going to talk into why I think that was problematic in a different podcast episode. My point right now is to say I was so ashamed to stutter that I ripped my own personality right out to avoid doing it. And you guys, my mom had to watch this happen. She watched as my world felt smaller and smaller and smaller. So I do know. I do know what it feels like to shut down. It is awful. I know how awful it is. I can't imagine watching it as a parent. The good news is that this didn't last forever, (laughs) as obvious by this. And I'm going to tell you my secret, which is that fluency would not have been the cure for this. Now, before you start panicking, because that was really intense, I want to reassure you that your child does not necessarily have to feel this way. Your kid, if they're lucky, can confidently stutter all day long and they'll be telling people, no, you slow down. No, I'm not going to slow down. You slow down and listen to me. And I hope that's their story. My, my hope and my goal is that things like this can make that more common at earlier ages than ever before. Okay, like I've already benefited greatly in comparison to, you know, the silent generation or baby boomers who have been through similar things. 
one of my favorite parts of Gen Z, who, by the way, the oldest witch are now in college terrifying um to think of myself of this age past that i'm a millennial (laughs) but one of the best parts of gen z that i've seen is that they don't worry about the differences so much like a a stutter makes somebody unique it makes people remember you it's also it's really hard to forget my name when it took me 10 seconds to say it hello my name is jamie you would be like, I'm not going to forget this person's name <laughs> ever again. <laughs> and I really built up the anticipation. And people kind of respond well to that, right? And I feel like Gen Z knows that. They're, they're starting to see that. And it's pretty cool. But the reality is that's not my story. And it, it isn't as necessarily common as I would prefer. There are still school bullies. There's still teachers who pick on kids. And there's still a humongous lack of information about what stuttering actually is. Okay, my ADHD got me a little off track. <laughs> so we're going to go back to the assumptions bit. Okay, I'm not hating on anxiety, first of all. I take Zoloft every day. And I take a higher dose the week before my period starts. <laughs> I get it. Anxiety is, is a thing. And it's not something we can control all the time. I, I get that. Um, it also can be lived with, like learn to cope with it, especially with practice. What I'm asking people, parents, usually adults in general to do is two bits. Number one, assess if you have assumed any personality traits about stuttering. What are your potential unconscious beliefs? Okay. That's number one. It's kind of a big question, but I feel like this is really important to do anything going forward at all. Two, ask yourself who whose emotions belong to whom, okay? Your anxiety belongs to you, does not belong to a child. This is the harder part, right? Your child's anxiety belongs to them. Now as a parent or a loved one, Guardian, you do have a responsibility with children to see their feelings and uh, learn how to respond to them, learn how to help them cope because they're younger. They don't have the tools that we as adults have. They don't have the the brain chemistry of the developed uh, being able to to cope with emotions. They they don't have the words that we know. Um, But you can't take it away from them as much as I know you wish you could. You can't shelter them from it. You might do everything right, but something else is still going to affect them. There's built-in biology. There's peers, genetics, media. I mean, you're not gonna you're not gonna hide it forever from them. Um, I still think it's really important to create a safe space, and we will talk about that. But the reality is, their emotions belong to them. Okay, so how's that for homework? (laughs) Um, Yeah, I'm definitely not a therapist, but I do, I do, like I said earlier, have a lot of people I know. I just work in human resources, although I probably shouldn't tell you that because like who likes HR? No, I don't even like, okay, I'm not going to say anything else. Anyway, okay, 
I'm going to address a thought you could potentially be thinking right now. This is this is your first uh, full-length episode, Jamie, and we have spent the entire time talking about me and parents and our emotions instead of stuttering. Like, where are the practical steps? Like, when are you going to tell me not to finish their sentences? When are you going to tell me to let my kids stutter in front of me? Um, I will. <laughs> or somebody will, if not me, someone on this on this podcast will. But you, you can find a lot of this stuff online, too. What I, what I want is I want you to start with you. I want you to think about how you feel. Because if we're talking about these ideas and these thoughts, we might be having two completely different conversations. So, and when we talk about these things, I don't want you to feel guilty for things that you've done. Or things that you feel. I don't want you to hear, oh my God, I'm not supposed to finish your sentences. Or, oh my God, I, I should have them talk to their teacher with me there. I, I don't want you to feel bad, okay? There's a term in therapy called radical acceptance. Okay, radical acceptance means to accept without judgment, I'm going to provide more information about this in the show notes because I think it is extremely challenging and also one of the most healing things you can do. A lot of people who stutter that I'm friends with, we've talked about this idea and it has helped us with our stuttering and I think it helps everyone. You know what? Okay, we're going to practice this right now together. So bear with me if this feels cheesy AF, um, but I'm going to do it. I'll make it fairly quick and I'll give you time to process it later. (laughs) Not now because I have to talk right now. But if you're currently able to close your eyes and remain safe, I want you to close your eyes. If not, you can do this later. Just kind of go along with this now and it gives you an idea at least. You can do it with your eyes open. So anyway. Okay. Your eyes are closed. I want you to think about how you feel when your child or loved one stutters. I I want you to think about how you feel. Let the thoughts come. What are you thinking about when you hear, 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 hear them stuttering? Don't, Don't push the thoughts away, even if they're unpleasant. Maybe you're uncomfortable. Maybe you're angry. Maybe you're really annoyed with me. And I want you to tell yourself out loud if you can. If not, think it. I am allowed to feel the way that I feel. I am allowed to feel the way that I feel. What you're doing with this is you give yourself a verbal permission slip. I am allowed to be afraid. I cannot control the way other people respond to my child's stutter and I'm allowed to be scared because of that. Now, maybe you've been responding to things in a not ideal way. I know I have. (laughs) And if you have, you can say this part too. I cannot change what has happened in the past. I can't go back and tell myself to let my kid talk however they want. I can't get rid of the things that I've said 
I've done. I can't even get rid of the things I used to believe. Those things exist. And I see those memories or those thoughts pass by me. I can watch them kind of go past. Feel free to pause at any point if that helps you. Okay. Are you doing okay? (laughs) Now you're going to set an intention. I'm going to remind yourself. I can move forward. I can continue to learn. And I can set an incredible example of what it looks like to accept what we cannot control. And guess what, parents, and other everyone else, but guess what, parents? An incredible example of accepting things you can't control is uh, when you're not perfect. If you were perfect, easy. Easy to accept yourself. <laughs> Duh. <laughs> what makes you an example is that you've accepted yourself and you, you are learning to accept yourself. Maybe you haven't done it yet. That's okay. You're learning to accept yourself when your actions were less than perfect. And you accept that you're not going to be perfect in the future. But you're going to do your best. And you're going to grow. And you're going to continue to learn. That is a good example of what accepting what we can't control looks like. This is so important for stuttering. I mean, you'll be modeling behavior that they will need at some point to learn. It's like what we talked about earlier. Stuttering is not really something we can control. Okay. If you need to pause and like just kind of process that, do so now. I will be including more information about radical acceptance in the show notes. Now, maybe you hated that and you think I'm a a moron. Okay, that was actually a word swap. I was going to say an idiot. Swapped it for moron and still stuttered on moron. Anyway, if you think I'm a moron, an idiot (laughs) for that, you're allowed to feel that way. That's fine. I'm going to have practical things as we come. If you did that and you feel awful right now, that's okay. all, All this stuff takes practice. Um, check out more resources. If you feel awful, check out the r- r- resources. I'm not an expert. <laughs> um, I'm not necessarily the best at bringing people up afterwards because I'm pretty comfortable sitting in the down um, and I know not everybody is um, and you don't have to be. <laughs> also, maybe this is really wasn't your cup of tea and that's fine too. And if that is true, I want you to still think about your ideas and what you're feeling and what your thoughts are around listening to your child who stutters and how that may or may not impact you or impact them. This whole first episode is just meant to make you more aware of your own feelings regarding stuttering and your thoughts. Okay, that's what this is all about. Now back to your loved one. It was so intense. I don't even know how to make a transition from that. <laughs> like, I mean, maybe it's going to come off like cheesy to you guys. It means a lot to me. Like this, this work for me has been life changing. I have felt, I'm just going to share this. Yeah. I have felt really bad about things that I've done in the past. My, 
my viewpoints on so many things have changed so drastically. Um, and I feel guilty sometimes when I look back at some of the things I've said to my friends, some of the things I've done. I'm like, wow, that was not very kind. Um, and some days it, that sucks a lot. And learning how to sit there and think, okay, I am not going to make excuses. I'm going to try to understand why I thought that. And some of this is upbringing, lack of exposure, thoughts based on what is around you as opposed to um, being around, you know, stuttering or whatever it is. But still were things that you thought or said and people that you hurt. I hurt people. So I will sit and I will let those thoughts pass by. And learning how to see those thoughts and not feel the deep-rooted shame. We're still responsible if, we, if it makes sense to apologize, to apologize. There's this brilliant dif- differ- differation, dif- I don't know the word, difference between stuttering, I'm stuttering, <laughs> the big difference, this is what happens when I don't have my notes, <laughs> a big difference between shame and guilt that Brene Brown defines the difference of. If you've not listened to Brene Brown's TED Talks, she has a couple. They're fantastic. She's a shame researcher, which I just think is brilliant. I love that. Uh, Sounds terrifying to most people, and I understand, but I love that. And she talks about the difference between guilt and shame. Guilt is feeling bad for something you've done. You said something mean. You snapped, you reacted, you told somebody to spit it out, then you realize they had a stutter, and you feel kind of guilty. That's good. That's healthy. That's good. It's a good thing you feel the guilt, okay? Guilt is resolved when you say, hey, I'm really sorry for that. I shouldn't have said that, and I'll make sure not to going forward. Guilt at that point lessens, decreases, maybe even goes away entirely. Shame, however, you do the same thing and you think, oh my God, I am such a bad person. I'm a bad mom. I'm a bad mom. Damn it. That's shame. Shame's not helpful at all. I've done this. I look back and I go, oh my God, I'm such a judgmental person. That's not true anymore. Maybe I have moments where I'm judgy. Maybe sometimes my actions are judgy and I can work on that. But I'm not a judgmental person. Okay. The difference of that is really, really impactful. And when you're letting yourself acknowledge, okay, I did things that were not great. There is no better way to grow. There's no better way to grow. That's that's the kind of crap that's going to make you a way different parent (laughs) and person, friend, any relationship you have, it's going to immediately impact those relationships. Because when you're feeling the shame and you're thinking, I'm a bad parent, I'm a bad mom, I'm a bad friend, I'm a bad daughter, all of a sudden you're going to be doing things to try to, to try to get this reaction from the other person that proves to you that you're not. And all that's going to do is put the responsibility on them to make you feel better. It's not super helpful. (laughs) 
But also, more importantly, you're never going to be satisfied. You're not, you're not going to. Because you're going to be thinking of all those things as just actions. But you are a bad mom. And that's not true. If you're listening to this, you're automatically not a bad parent. Um, even if you've done shady things, <laughs> you care and you're trying. And that's amazing. Okay. So... Shame takes a while to drop, unlearn, but I think it's really important. Okay, that did not help my transition piece right here at all, because I'm just really intense. (laughs) But all I was trying to say earlier about assumptions being made, stuttering, all those kind of things, to tie it back, there is only one way. To find out if your child wants to be the star in the play or if they do prefer set design. You ask them. You also acknowledge that their answer may change. And that's okay. You also acknowledge that maybe they don't know that they can say the star of the play. By the time I was starting high school, I probably would have told you that I'd prefer to write scripts than act. And maybe it was kind of true, but, like, maybe it wasn't. I really had never given acting any kind of a fair chance, right? I just assumed it wasn't an option. You know, I'm, like, 14, okay, at this point. I just thought, like, what was the point if I, if I can't talk? If I can't speak, what's the point? But if I had tried it, if I had enjoyed it, if I had learned that maybe other people didn't actually care as much as I thought they did maybe that would have been my answer I don't know I can't go back and change that right this is another one of those radical acceptance things I kind of have to do is I have to accept that my story is my story and I look back at being in eighth grade and we I was still at my private school right going to humongous public school and we had these weird things that I had never had before called electives that you could take and I looked at speech and debate and I looked at whatever acting was the theater I think and I thought that would be so cool but not going to be any good at it so I picked my number one choice as Spanish because that was required and I'm a Capricorn and I that's kind of what I'm like as a person um right language is required um, and I put, you know, my second and third options as speech and debate and as drama, drama, that's what it was called. But I knew that Spanish was going to be picked because it was like, everyone needs that. They're going to let freshmen take that class, <laughs> you know, um, that happened. I let my stutter define that for me. I really wanted to do speech and debate. My mom kept telling me I would have been so good at it. I probably would have been. But I I didn't think you could do that and stutter. I would eventually learn differently, but at the time, I didn't know better yet. It's super interesting. And I'm hopeful that people... Young people who stutter now are not 
making all of those same decisions based on that. They gotta know. You can do those things and stutter through through them. Maybe it's gonna look a little different. Maybe you're gonna have to figure out the right way to disclose. And we're gonna talk about that in another episode. That one's gonna be really fun. But at the end of the day... (sighs) Okay. Well... I'm really excited about the episodes to come, about our more practical examples. This one's very heavy, very emotional, probably not for everyone, um, especially people who've had no experience with this. And I'm going to be honest, when it comes to the way society treats people, probably really weird and awkward for men, dads especially. Um hopefully less true as time goes on but you know society this is not something people necessarily have a lot of practice in but I think these are the things that will help more than anything else more than any practical things you can do is you start here you start with yourself and you start to learn and be aware of what you're thinking of what you're feeling and acknowledging okay Okay, I don't know everything. That's why I'm listening to this podcast instead of something else. <laughs> Some of the things that you can look forward to. <laughs> One of my favorite ones, personally, is when we're talking about language. So it's going to be about... Uh, one episode's going to be really a lot about the, the way we talk ma- 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 matters. <laughs> that was a fun one. Um, it's not about to stutter or not to stutter, right? That would be ironic. <laughs> but language impacts everything. You know, I think sometimes we can get caught up in worrying, oh, this is very PC culture and that's not the real world. And I understand where you're coming from with that. I, I do. Like, I, I, I get it. It's not the real world. People are going to say stuff. Um, but language impacts the way we think about things on a subconscious level as well as on a conscious level. So when I say that I can't talk, that the reason I didn't do speech and debate was because I wouldn't be able to talk, that's unhelpful because it's not true, right? Like I am able to talk. I'm just going to stutter when I talk. Probably pretty severely in that situation at that time of my life. Okay, but I wasn't unable to speak. That's different. So I would rather say, instead of unable to talk, I would say maybe um, fluency was not coming for me. Not not coming there. Just finding a different way to say that's more accurate. Another example is calling a stutter bad. So when we're like, wow, today was a bad day, or that phone call was bad, what people generally mean is that the stuttering was more severe, maybe more noticeable. And if you didn't stutter, it was a good phone call. But we're going to drop language like that, because that attaches morality, that attaches a good and a bad, that attaches a, uh, okay, we want good, right? Like, we want good. We want a good day. And if good equals fluency, then we want a fluent day. But if you can learn that you can stutter, and let me tell you, you can stutter really well, 
very impressive amount of stuttering. <laughs> um, it can still be a good day. Severity does not ma- ma- matter. You're going to hear me talk that way. I talk about how my stutter was more severe for a very, very long time. I used to say my stutter was really bad. And I've changed the language in order to remove this moral righteousness on and off about it. Okay? We're going to be talking about that. We're going to be talking about things you can do to create a more safe place for your child who stutters and why that is the most important thing you can possibly do. I'm going to talk about some reactions I get when I say the phrase safe place, <laughs> safe space. You know, this these are words that kind of have become political, but I want to kind of strip them from that. I want to talk about them in the actual practical application of this. When we're talking about a safe place, obviously you want home to be physically safe for your child, right? You don't want, when you have a baby, you tend to put things on the corner I don't know. I don't have one. But like, so so toddler doesn't smack their head into a pointy object. You, you're buying things to make a safe space. You're making a safe space. That's what making a safe space is. You put little things in the outlet so your child doesn't stick a fork in there like some of my friends did growing up. That is literally, by definition, making the space safer. So that's what I'm talking about. And we're going to apply that in a stuttering sense, making sure your child feels safe to stutter in front of you and why that's very important. And that's why we spent this entire episode talking about you, because you can't create a safe space until you know what's going on, until you're aware of potentially safe and unsafe things. And that's hard to do. Um... If you're feeling guilty, feeling feeling other things, feeling shame, you know, I've, I've said before, um, one of the problems we're having with being able to talk into, into parents, particularly, sometimes parents are more of a conversation to be had about stuttering than the children themselves. And I think that is really because of fear. You know, you're, you're afraid. Society has not shown to be particularly great to people who stutter, right? Like, the examples we've had so far have not been ideal. Success looks like overcoming the stutter. looks like fluency. So, you're scared. You're afraid. And fear is very, very loud. Fear makes it near impossible to hear anything else. That's why I start there. That's why I think that's really important to start. Um, And it's something for parents to do on their own, not in front of their child. And you are totally capable of that. Even if you feel like you're around your kid nonstop, your kid can't go into your head at least. Thank goodness. So you have a little place that's kind of free from that, that you can work in. So all that and more, (laughs) I hope I haven't overwhelmed you. I hope this has been good and I hope it's something you can reference and listen to. I'm going to try, I'm going to have a transcript of this. I'm just so excited. I can't wait to get into the more practical steps of this 
and uh, talk about what this is like, even from a SLP's standpoint, from a parent's standpoint. As I have people on the show, we're probably going to be touching base to some of these ideas. So that's why I think it's really important that you understand this. If you have any questions about the terms I've used, about the ideas that I presented, if you don't feel like I'm giving you enough information or too much, I guess, but really if you feel like you're confused by something, please reach out to me. My Instagram handle, I confirmed this time, is Stutterology. Same name as the podcast. You can shoot me a message on there. I believe on the Anchor page, which is the little website link, you can also send me an audio message if you would like your question to be featured on the podcast later in this season. That would be so cool. You don't have to stutter. You know, it's fine if you're fluent. We'll accept it still. Um, But yeah, if you could do that, that would be super great. If you haven't yet subscribed on a platform, please do so. That makes it really at this point so I'm more able to access certain things that will help make this podcast better. Um, And yeah, thanks for listening and have a lovely day. I'll see you or not see you. I'll talk to you next time.